Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid's Survive and Thrive series. Today, Dr. Blake Williamson welcomes Dr. Shizad Batiwala, Dr. Leite Alto, Dr. Kenji Asakura, and Dixon Davis to discuss financial freedom and how supplemental income can change the way physicians practice medicine. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to another episode of the Survive and Thrive series of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm your host, Dr. Blake Williamson from Williamson Eye, and I am here with my pal, Dr. Shazad Botliwala, uh, who is up there in Oklahoma right now with my dear friend, Luke Revenich, doing his cornea and refractive fellowship. And whenever we were trying to figure out a topic, um, you know, I called Shazad because he's such a big thinker. You know, if you follow him on Twitter, he's always paste, uh, posting things about space and, uh, you know, all these, these cool technologies and traveling to Mars and all this stuff. And, and I've always enjoyed my conversations with him. So I said, you know, this is this whole podcast is geared and is sent out to all the ophthalmologists, young ophthalmologists in the country. Um, surely he's got a pulse on what might be a cool topic uh, that might be a little bit outside the box of what we normally talk about, um, you know, in this podcast, how to match in a certain fellowship or, you know, how to get started in private practice. And in fact, he did. Um, Shazad, I thought that maybe you can kind of start by introducing what you and I discussed and what the topic is for today, and then we'll go around and, and meet, meet our guests who are joining us. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me, Blake. I'm super, super excited to talk about this topic, um, it, and uh, I thank you for being open-minded enough to have the discussion. So, you know, I wanted to talk about uh, financial freedom, which is something that we don't necessarily think about much or learn about in our medical training. Um, and I just kind of want to break down those two words, right? So financial and freedom. Well, freedom of from what or of what? I think of it as not just financial freedom, but freedom of time, right? Freedom of decision-making, freedom of, of location. Um, just living life on your own terms the way you want to live it. Um, and that can mean different things for different people, right? Um, it could mean you know, maybe cutting back on work hours. Um, it could mean maybe spending more time with your loved ones, you know, instead of just watching your children grow, you know, grow up without your presence being more involved in your child's life. It could mean so many different things for so many different people. Um, the financial aspect of, his, of it is interesting, right? Because, you know, the way I think about it is we all have this equation of our life, of how we want to live our life and what fulfillment and contentment means. And money is an important and critical part of that equation, right? You can't, you, you can't really solve that equation without money. Um, the goal is really, in my mind, to get that variable out of the way as soon as possible, right? So that once you take the money out of the picture, now, how can you live your life, right? Now, what are you going to do with those five days a week that you have? Um, one of the things that I really love asking people when we talk about this is, you know, imagine if you had, I don't know, say twenty-five dollars or $50,000 a month hitting your bank account net cash flow. Would you be practicing medicine the way you are right now? I'm not saying quit medicine, right? But would you change something about your circumstance if that was the case? Would you maybe cut down or, you know, change the practice environment, maybe move to a different location? How would that look like um, for you? And I encourage people to, you know, to think about it that way. Um, and everybody has a different number, right? Some people may want a million dollars a year of net cash flow. Some people, for you know, that number may be $100,000 a year. 
For some people, it might be $50,000 a year. Whatever that number is, you need to decide what that number is and then make progress towards obtaining that number as soon as possible, in my opinion. Um, and uh, the way that I have done that is through real estate, you know, and I haven't hit my number yet. I'm on the way. Um, and this conversation, these thoughts really started, you know, in the middle of a residency, right? Residency is a grueling process, as we all know. And when you're going through that process, you ask yourself a lot of questions. Um, and I started asking myself these types of questions and discovered um, a really awesome real estate course that was uh, put together by Leiti and Kenji, who are our guests today. Um, and although I was already investing in real estate, um, you know, their course really laid out a sound strategy that if you follow, you can be really successful um, towards obtaining passive, uh, passive income. So that's sort of my you know, spiel on financial freedom and how I think about the topic. Um, I would love to also hear a little bit about this from Leiti and Kenji. Um, so if you guys don't mind introducing yourself and just giving a little brief summary. Sure. Thanks, Shazad, and thanks for inviting us. And we're really excited to be here. Um, I think the reason Shazad invited us is Kenji and I had this kind of epiphany in 2015 as well. Um, we realized we were both working more than full-time as hospitalists. So Kenji has kind of an entrepreneur heart. So he was he had a startup and he was working as a hospitalist full-time. I uh, was working as a hospitalist and then also as family medicine trained. So I was teaching residents on the top of what I was doing. And, um, you know, Kenji had asked me something which I had never been asked before, which was, how do you want to spend your time? How do you want to live your life if you had no kind of barriers? Money wasn't an issue. Like, how would you spend your time? And when I described it, it was just very different than how we were spending our time right at that moment. And thinking forward to having kids, we were newly married. Like, how did I want to live my day to day? And it was different. And what that gave us was this vision of where we were going to go. And we didn't really know how we were going to get there. Um, but we did kind of keep our minds open. And we also discovered real estate about six months after we had this conversation. Um, we read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki and realized we were employees trading time for money. And we really had to change that and become investors. And Robert Kiyosaki speaks a lot about real estate. And we naturally love real estate. Kenji had been actually investing in more of appreciation plays since 20, 2001. Um, but what we learned was cash flow was the key. And having that kind of cash flow that forms your monthly income coming in every single month is what sets you free to practice medicine on your terms because now you don't rely on your salary. And so what we did was at that time, we just totally changed our direction. We were trying to buy a primary residence. We were getting outbid. And we just, we just put all of our money into investment properties that cash flowed for us. And in, in three years, we achieved financial freedom. We didn't achieve the number that we thought we needed. We actually achieved you know, a number and said, you know, we don't actually need any more than this. And, uh, and then started teaching people how to do it ourselves because we couldn't, we couldn't stop talking about it um, in the hospital and uh, just teaching our friends about it. And so this is how we started Semi-Retired MD and a blog and a, and a course that now has had um, almost 3000 doctors go through it, teaching them how to invest in real estate. And our true joy and passion now is, is not actually our real estate. It's watching physicians change their lives because physicians are incredible human beings who take what we teach and just apply and, and doing amazing things. And so we're really honored to have people like Shazad in our course who uh, take what we teach them and, and just, oh, it's, it's so impressive. So. That's fantastic. Dixon, I want to bring you in here. Can you just introduce yourself and, and talk about BSM Consulting and kind of uh, uh, where you fit in? Yeah, you bet. Thank you, Blake. So BSM Consulting is a, a consulting firm that focuses on business in specialty groups uh, around the country and actually uh, inter internationally uh, with some groups. Our main clientele is ophthalmology and then dermatology and probably aesthetic medicine. And a lot of our business is around uh, financial management. So it's, it's helping groups to identify how to better uh, run their, their practices. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of people will come to us and say, how do we create a succession plan, right? We're now getting ready to retire and we're not sure we have some of that financial freedom that y'all are talking about. 
And, and so we're trying to help them plan ahead. And so we have kind of end of year consulting where we're trying to help people find their way into retirement. We have a lot of new residents who are coming out, not being trained, right, in, in financials. who are trying to figure out how do I afford to get going um, or how do I afford to take these next steps, if, whether it's buying to be a partner or owning my own practice. And so a lot of what we're teaching is financial discipline. Uh, we're not necessarily teaching these wonderful things on you know, investing in other areas to, to get that financial freedom. Our focus is more on the ability to be more understanding of and disciplined in the running of your business so that you can have right, that, that money to either, either reinvest in your practice uh, and or in other things and to not be so stressed out about money all the time that you can't focus on medicine, right? We, we want doctors who can provide amazing care and sometimes this financial thing can get in the way. And so we really try to educate and help uh, our physicians to not get wrapped around the axle on something that, that takes them away from what they're doing so valuable. And that is um, in learning some of that financial discipline. We've got, um, well, we've got physicians who are making millions a year and they're struggling financially. And we have some that are you know, making $250,000 a year and seem to be doing very well and the opposite of each, right? Uh, and so we're really trying to help people just understand how to better manage those opportunities from the perspectives all the way from understanding your financials to feasibility analysis and what you do with that money. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I wanted to have you on is because, you know, you guys, you know, the, to be full disclosure, you guys helped me with my transition. BSM did when I was buying into my practice and surgery center. And the way I've achieved financial freedom is owning a surgery center. Right. So talk about your money working for you, not being an employee. You know, when other surgeons are in that surgery center, uh, I'm earning from that. You know, so so that to me, that was kind of the more traditional way to use my money to, to invest in something to make my money work for me within my own practice. And you guys at BSM helped me with that. You know, Shazad brought this up and I said, well, gosh, this is just another way that we could do this in a completely different fashion. Kenji, I want to ask you, what, well, how much do you think that, how much do you think that your specialty plays a role in this, right? Because if, for instance, you mentioned family medicine and internal medicine, you guys can't own, oh, I guess you could, but it's unlikely that you would own a surgery center, right? So, so how much is, how, how much is it that, you know, people in certain specialties need to be looking at, you know, real estate and things like that early on versus those of us in other specialties who have opportunities to own surgery centers and own big practices? You know, how, how do we, is that a factor in it at all? Or, or can you talk about that? Yeah, happy to do that. Uh, I think uh, the way I would answer that is uh, going back to Robert Kiyosaki, and, and he talks about something called the cash flow quadrant. And uh, and actually, we, we one of our mentors is the real rich dad, Keith Cunningham. And when you, he actually taught Robert Kiyosaki the, the four quadrants, and he says, well. We, you know, I teach a little differently. And what I actually taught him was that you need to be in all four quadrants, which means that you not only should be a business owner, uh, you should be also an investor, right? You should also be an employee. He's saying that you need to be in all four quadrants. Uh, and so what I would say to that is that uh, it doesn't matter what your specialty is. Um, I really think that, you know, you want to kind of beef up all different areas. Um, I think uh, real estate uh, would be a good addition for anybody, especially somebody who is uh, generating either passive or active income, because it gives you a, a way to shelter that income, right? So if you want to really grow your wealth quickly, which is what Shazad was talking about, getting to that financial freedom number quickly, if you want to do that, the best way to do that is be as tax efficient as possible. We haven't paid income taxes in the last six years. And if you can do that for six years, you can grow your wealth very quickly. And so anybody can do that. Anybody has access to it. And, uh, and especially if you are uh, if you are, uh, have, a, have a spouse, if you're married, uh, that's actually a really great way to achieve something called real estate professional status where you, your spouse can become the real estate professional and shelter any W-2 or 1099 income. But there are a lot of other ways you can do that as well. For example, with short-term rentals, you can actually do it with medical office buildings. You can use the depreciation from your medical office building to shelter your medical practice income by grouping the activity together. 
and so that's another way you can you or, can actually shelter. Or income. you could actually take your medical office and make that passive income, and then buy real estate and have passive losses and shelter it and and not pay taxes, mm-hmm. income taxes. There are so many ways to do it when you own a medical office building, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just I really want to reiterate what Lady and Kenji, uh, Kenji just said, right? That is such a huge point. I mean, all we're talking about is, you know, getting to that financial freedom goal, right? And there are so many avenues to do that: real estate, ASC, what have you, different businesses. But you know, the reason real estate is a wealth accelerant, and I have seen this in my own life, is really threefold. One is cash flow. Two is appreciation whether it's market or forced appreciation, which is something that they can, can you teach and talk about? And then third, depreciation, right? So you can take advantage of, of paper losses and shelter your income, whether in a whether that's passive income, income or active income that gets a little bit nuanced. Um, but I know so many people that make high six figures that invest in real estate and are real estate professionals and what that gets you to do, it, it allows you to shelter your, you know, W-2 or, or 1099 or active income. And so if you just think about your, um, you know, your, um, if you think about your P&L statement, right? Like what is the biggest source of expense in, in, in your life? Taxes. And if there's a way to shelter, legally speaking, right? We're not talking about any loopholes. I mean, this is the government incentivizes you to, invest in real estate and take advantage of those of those tax shelters. So if you can shelter, you know, a 25 to 35% tax bracket, just imagine how quickly you can snowball your equity. And that's what real estate does for you. Yeah. So how do you how do you how did someone get started with this? So so I'll kind of take you my my journey of 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 pseudo halfway financial literacy really started like two years ago. I've been in practice about five or six years. For the first few years, I was just, you know, treading water, bought the house, you know, ha- had the three babies and, you know, was honestly spending a lot of the money I was making. But about a year and a half, two years ago, I said, well, let me kind of learn about some of these things. Uh, and I, I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad too. And I started listening to all the podcasts and doing all the things. And then before you knew it, I had an LLC that was my consulting LLC. So all my speaking engagements and all, I do a lot of speaking for co- drug companies and devices and, you know, pretty much all of our travel is now through that LLC. And that's how I get tax breaks there. Um, you know, that was a big thing. I started investing every single paycheck. Um, you know, I have a certain percentage that comes out of every single paycheck I get that goes directly to my Fidelity account where all my ETFs and, um, you know, the Vanguard funds and all that stuff's going. A certain percentage goes to cryptocurrency. Um, I already have my, um, you know, my, my little, uh, you know, five-month salary or whatever sitting there in case of a rainy day. These are all kind of financial literacy 101 things that everybody tells you, every CFP or financial advisor is like, okay, you need to have, you know, these few things, right? So, so. So do you guys agree that, you know, that you should start there uh, just to have your base? And then this is the next step. And, and if it is the next step, you know, how, how much money do I need to start investing in real estate? Do I need $50,000? Do I need $500,000? How can I get started? So um, I definitely want to highlight Shazad's experience. So, so we should definitely hear how he did it in residency because that's very okay. atypical. Um, a majority of the people who come through our program are, you know, five years out of residency or so. And um, some of them have paid off their student loans, but some have not. And the idea is really to use what leverage you do have. Sometimes it's saved up money. Sometimes people HELOC. Um, actually, we went an extreme about three years into our journey and, and liquidated one of our 401ks because we knew we could shelter all of the taxes. Um, and we believed we could have had we could have better returns than in the stock market. And we were willing to pay the 10% fee to do that. Um, and so I would say it's very much a personal journey, uh, how people choose to do it. Uh, but you you need much less than you would think, especially if you're forcing appreciation. So you're taking a property, increasing the value of it, and then you're able to actually take the money out and reuse it for the next property. And so you can recycle the same money and that's the kind of stuff that we're teaching. Um, so I wanna make space for Shazad, because he has a cool story. Yeah, thanks. So um, I started, you know, second year of residency, I bought a, um, a four unit, a fourplex in Texas. And um, 
you know, when you go buy properties like this, you just, you kind of think of it like, like a business, right? Here's a business that I'm buying that is not doing too well. It's not performing well, right? So how do I increase the income from this, from this business? How do I tip the PL ratio towards more profit, less losses, right? Just basic. Um, and so when I went in, it, this property wasn't, poor, you know, it wasn't uh, properly managed. Um, each tenant was paying maybe four to $500 in rent, which is under market for the area. Um, and so I bought the property, you know, using some savings that I had, which again is one of, one of the reasons why real estate is so powerful because of leverage, right? The banks will, you know, let you borrow 70 to 80% of the cost of the property. That is huge. There's not, not very many businesses that you can do that and that you can leverage, uh, the banks in that manner. So I went in, bought the property. Um, I self-managed, so I saved on the property management fees. Um, and then I ended up getting better customers. What do I mean by customers? Well, tenants, right? They're your customers. So I, um, you know, ended up getting much better tenants that um, paid market or above market rent. Um, and I appreciated that property in, you know, what, 15, 16 months, um, over $150,000. And, uh, now I'm going to do a cash out refinance, um, where I'll get, you know, after fees and all of that, I'll probably pull out about a hundred thousand dollars from the property, um, which was just literally created out of thin air. If you think about it, right. Be using the, the power of leverage and the force appreciation that I did um, by increasing the income of that property. So I'll take that money out and I'll reinvest it um, into another property. We're using the same manner, um, leverage, buy a property that is maybe distressed, not performing well, increase its income, just do it all over again. And, and, and that's, you know, so just to put numbers on it, um, my cash on cash return on that property is about 12 to 14% over the past you know, 15, 16 months. That's just cash flow. That is not taking advantage of depreciation yet. Um, so that's, that's my spiel. And then I bought another property in Oklahoma, but I'll save that for a different day. So, so, yeah, no. so go ahead, please. Oh, I just wanted to highlight. So he's, he's cash flowing. So he has cash and cash return every single month. So that's, that's adding up. And ideally he's saving that to put in the next property. He is cash flowing and it's tax-free because he's using depreciation. Even without real estate professional, he's actually able to shelter his, his cash flow from paying taxes. And then he's forcing appreciation on top. So he's able to reuse that money and buy another cash flowing property. And this is that snowball that we're describing. And we're doing it now on um, 42 unit, 32 unit and increasing those rents by making a better quality product. Now nets us millions of dollars. So as you get bigger, it actually, you know, just the scale changes. And you haven't even talked about the debt pay down, the fact that your tenants are paying right. down your mortgage. And then on top of that, the tax savings, right? So if you can kind of take the cash flow and the tax savings and then put that back into your next property, uh, that's, a, that's how you can really grow. So, you know, kind of get back to your original question, I think. Yeah, you, you could do all these things uh, simultaneously. Uh, I agree with all these things you're talking about, having an emergency fund and, and those types of things are very important. And then also if you have speaking engagements, you know, putting it into an LLC and, and really be maximally tax efficient with that is great. Um, but I think adding real estate, if anybody's paying taxes out there, uh, they really don't, that's optional, right? They don't really have to because they can create a plan to shelter that income uh, and, uh, and so I think real estate has always got to be a part of that. Um, uh, there are other ways to shelter income, but uh, I think real estate, real estate is set up. The government really incentivizes you to use real estate to, um, to shelter your income. So, so Dixon, I want to bring you in because what if, you know, so, so I was just asking, where would you, you know, where would I start if I wanted to do what Shazad is doing? How do I get started if I want to achieve financial freedom, if I wanted to have the snowball effect, if I wanted to have money start working for me? What if someone, what if an ophthalmologist, young ophthalmologist like myself, five years in the practice, called you at BSM and said, hey, you know, I'm kind of an employee here. I'm making, I don't know, $300,000 a year. I'm happy. I do LASIK and cataract surgery. Patients are saying, well, I'm fulfilled. But man, I'd like to make a million dollars a year. Or, you know, I'd like to, you know, um, 
uh, be an owner of this practice or this ASC, you know, what's sort of the roadmap that you lay out? Because as you said, y'all have clients making a quarter million dollars a year. You have clients making $2 million a year, right? So, so what kind of roadmap do you set out for them and, and how, how difficult is it to achieve that going the traditional route, um, you know, through buying practices and employing physicians? Because what they're saying sounds pretty easy to me. And, uh, you know, knowing what I know about my practice, you know, it's, it's not as easy just to go pick up practices here and there. I mean, you can, uh, but things have to kind of fall into place. Yeah. So you had asked a question earlier, Blake, and that was, you know, what are the steps, right, that we take to, to get to this financial freedom? And, and this means, and Shazad said this very well earlier, it means different things to different people. Right. I'll, I will talk to some associates who are making, you know, decent money, who are as happy as can be with life. Right. They've worked out a decent schedule. Maybe they're down to four days a week. They're, they're still making enough money and they're they're happy as can be. And then I have others who are looking for this right? this next opportunity. I'd like to make more. And sometimes it's about making more money. Sometimes it's just about that. They want other things to fulfill. Right. They want other challenges. And so this what is the right thing for for everybody right there isn't a right thing and i think that's what everybody on this call has said but there are opportunities so as a financial consultant we usually will start with you know get some discipline around what you have already plan wisely you know that may be a feasibility analysis if you're looking to buy a new piece of equipment it could be for a new house it could be for real estate so have a plan, have some financial discipline, whether it be budgeting, what have you. But then the other thing we really challenge people, and whether you're in a practice or in a family home, it is to step back and take a minute to think more as a leader. We can get wrapped up in, in the day-to-day -day so easy, right? Letty and Kenji talked about this initially. They were just so busy, just, just trying to keep up. And, and we all do it. Um, but, but the ability to step back and to just have that conversation either with yourself, your spouse, your partner, your family, whoever it is, to talk about what is important. What is it that we'd like to do, whether it be for enjoyment or for money, um, but not just get caught up in the day-to-day. -day. And so that, that, again, is back to discipline. But as we teach financial discipline and then leadership, it is that ability to step back, whether it be a strategic planning meeting in a practice, or whether it be a personal conversation with yourself about what is it that I want to do, then we start to develop a, a plan, right? So that's what we're kind of good at, right? That's what keeps us in business is we're able to sit down and say, let's develop a plan of action, but it has to be based around initially what it is, you know, what that target is, what it is that we want to focus on. And then it might be, let's get ourselves financially stable to where we have some money set aside and now we have some money, not only in case of a rainy day, but we have the ability to invest and it might be an initial investment that's small. I mean, Lady and Kenji, they, they started off small. Now there's something, you know, something big. You know, Shazad started with a, a fourplex and now he's got another one in Oklahoma. And, and as we continue on, we can make those investments or in an ASC, right? Or in multiple ASCs, right? We've got some doctors who are owners of two, um, ASCs, you can't, uh, there is a degree to where you can't own, you know, so many ASCs because you're not doing surgery there, but um, there are different opportunities to expand. And so just, you know, coming back to, I think where we're focused on is the financial discipline to make sure that we're aware and that we're able to stay afloat and the opportunity to move to the next level. And then to take the time to think about what's most important. And then talking to these great people, right, who've had this experience. We're all about networking, benchmarking, right? Talk to people in your industry or out of your industry who have good ideas um, and learn from them. Shazad, Shazad, what do you what do you think about that? Because you, when you first told me about this, you know, just to be candid on the phone, I'm like, what are you talking about? When you talk about what your plans were. Uh, which, you know, we can keep personal, but, but you made it clear that, that, that you wanted to spend a lot of time focused on this initially. And, and I was, and what caught me off guard, I was like, was, was like, well, man, you know, 
there's so much opportunity for investment and growth just within ophthalmology itself. You're really so well positioned, not only in this specialty, but in this subspecialty of refractive surgery with all these cash pay options. And I'm just thinking about you know, what I've been able to build in the past five or six years. And my mindset was like, well, gosh, why isn't he focused on that? So my question to you is, have you thought about, have you thought about, you know, building wealth through real estate, uh, through what, what, what they're teaching, and then maybe reinvesting that into ophthalmology? Or are you pretty much going to just do real estate? Yeah, you know, I'm 31 years old, right? So I'm figuring that out. <laughs> you know, this is not a static type of situation. Um, I think, you know, what Dixon said, I really appreciate. And what you're alluding to really is finding your why, right? Why are we doing all this? And that's what Leite and Kenji teach in their course. That's like the first module. You know, what's the point? Let's say you got $100 million. What are you going to do? You buy five mansions, five cars. I mean, you know, what, what is your why? Um, and it means different things to different people. And, you know, Blake, when we had that conversation, I mean, I'm, I'll be open about it. Um, ophthalmology is, I love the surgeries, right? It's a huge part of my identity. I've spent the last, you know, 10 plus years um, working hard to get to where I am. But we're all wired differently right? It's, I would say ophthalmology is a portion of my identity, but it's not everything. There's so much more that I want to do with my life. And why not, right? I'm 31 years old. You you live till what, 75, 80 years old? You've got a very short life. So why not do multiple things? Why not try to have the best experience on earth in the short amount of time that we're here? So that's how I think about it. And my why you know, I've had some personal struggles in my life. And so one of my whys is to contribute and maybe create some nonprofits, right, that affect the communities of people um, that I'm passionate about. Um, and that has to do with my background and my, my, my history of, of coming to the U.S., you know, when I was seven from India as an immigrant. And we don't have to get into all of that. But um, so one of my whys is legacy and, and to give back, to contribute, to feel that I am contributing to a cause that is bigger than myself. And actually, Kenji is the one that really kind of solidified this for me. You know, when we were at the meetup, Kenji, you mentioned Tony Robbins, and you mentioned two of the, you know, six human needs um, that people have. And that really stuck with me, man. That was a huge impact in my mind. One is growth right? That you really want to be pushed outside your comfort zone and challenged. And I resonate with that so much. I'm just bored if I'm not challenged, to be very honest. Um, and the second was contribution. You want to feel that you are giving back to a cause that's greater than yourself. That is one of the six human needs, uh, two of the six human needs. Um, and so, though, you know, that's my why. Um, I may not be practicing medicine three to five years down the road right? Or I may be practicing in a way that I want to, right? Maybe when I hit my, my number uh, for financial freedom, I want to take mission trips and go to cataract surgeries abroad for weeks at a time, right? I can't do that right now because I'm, I, I haven't achieved financial freedom, uh, freedom. So, you know, those are the types of things that I want to do in the future. That's how I want to live my life, um, so I think it just comes down to identifying your why and, and being really brutally honest with yourself. Yeah. Kenji, one thing that y'all talked about, um, you know, your website, it's semi, is it semiretiredmd.com? But, but you're not telling doctors to retire necessarily, or even semi-retire. Can you kind of talk about, you know, because when you read that, you're, it's kind of like, oh, go do real estate and don't worry about medicine anymore. That blows my mind because I'm like, well, gosh, we got into this to be, we're, we're, we, you know, we have a servant mentality. We want to take care of people contributing to something bigger than yourself. That's a big part of medicine, but you guys aren't necessarily saying quit. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we're not saying retire MD. It's a semi-retire MD, which uh, I interpret as uh, really giving yourself the option to do what you want. If you want to continue practicing, it's, it's great. It's really, really about uh, giving your uh, free, freeing yourself uh, to 
practice medicine the way you want. And, you know, I'll give you an example of a student who went through our course, never actually ended up buying a piece of real estate for the time that we knew this person. Um, but she felt so free knowing that she now knew how to go out and make money a different way. Uh, and showing up at work, she showed up differently because she was like, oh, I, I know that I have this potential outlet if I ever need it, right? If I ever need to cut back, I know how to go out and make money. And so I think that's really, for us, the, the thing that fulfills us the most is when we see somebody shift their mindset from kind of just completely focused on what they're doing, which is obviously important when they're, when they're, uh, when they're, uh, you know, at, at work and taking care of patients, but when they're outside of work, uh, to, to free themselves to kind of say, Hey, there are other things out here that I enjoy doing. Uh, and for us, it's, it, it's really freeing when they free their minds to say, okay, I can go out and do anything. Uh, I'm not limited by my identity as an ophthalmologist or a doctor or whatever. I can go out and be something else in my free time or when I have free time. Uh, and so that to us is the, the biggest piece of uh, fulfillment. So. Yeah, I think what Shasad said was also really important about um, having a purpose and having contribution and growth because what we've seen is, is when people get a huge chunk of money, for example, we've seen in our personal lives mm -hmm. that people lose their purpose and they're lost. And, um, and so in order to have a purpose, you have to be contributing. And oftentimes that still means that you work in some capacity. Um, and so Kenji and I have not done a hospitalist shift for a year um, at this point. And I don't, I don't know if we're actually going to go back and do any more, to be honest, but we are, con we are contributing. We're not sitting around on the beach either um, because we know we'd be unhappy doing that. We wouldn't be fulfilled. So semi-retired MD really is you still contribute to the world. You may not be a doctor or you may be a doctor, but you're still contributing because if you're not, you're going to lose your purpose and you're going to be lost. And that's no matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter. It's not a great way to live. Yeah. Dixon, what, what, what asset classes do you see some of your more successful physicians doing? Is it, is it, is real estate the biggest one or, you know, is it mostly stocks and, and, and things like that? Or it, what do you, what do you, what do you see the mix up, the mix being? Yeah, so a lot of our successful uh, physician surgeons right now are investing in, in their own real estate, right? So they own their own properties, uh, their own surgical centers. And again, a lot of who we work with uh, are surgeons. And so they're, they're investing in those so that they're, as they use those facilities to generate revenue professionally, they're also now benefiting on the backside on the facility, not only the facility reimbursement, right? Uh, whether it's cash pay or insurance pay, but also on the real estate, right? Side. So, so they're paying themselves rent rather than uh, somebody else rent. So those that are, I would say some of our most successful uh, have a good mix in all of those. They're also reinvesting in their own practice so that they continue to be seen as the center that not only seen, that, that's almost a, we're creating a facade. It, it's actually becoming right, a place where people can come for the greatest service. So they are reinvesting. Those who we see struggling are those who, even if they're doing well, are taking that money and they're using it for entertainment, right? They're not reinvesting. Uh, they're not using it to, to plan for the future that's where we see some of our physicians who are struggling. But those who are, again, who are disciplined, who are taking the opportunity to reinvest either in their own practice, in real estate, in surgical centers. But if they're going to be paying money, thinking ahead to let me pay some of that money back to myself. I mean, we don't even get into the whole tax savings, which, you know, I want to talk to Letty and Kenji after this call myself, right? Um, but we don't even get into that. But there's so many opportunities if you'll just think about how to be disciplined in my business and where I'm going to spend my money and not just what car am I going to buy? What house am I going to buy? What, right. And, yeah. and we see a lot of great uh, successes. Let me just tell you one story. So I sat, I was sitting around a table with some physicians. Uh, it was about five of them in New Jersey. And we were having this discussion about some succession planning. And, and one of them said, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit, 
uh, tired of, of the day in and day out in medicine. He's about, about 15 years into his career. And he says, I'm really looking for something new. Um, and, and wasn't as financially set in his personal life. Another physician who was about five years from retirement, who was making less money than this individual, made a comment of, I, I can't believe you're not happy. I have never found so much joy in serving, right? And taking care of people. And he was financially stable. He had invested in some real estate. He was paying himself for some things, but had, uh, and actually did a lot for the community. When we talk about giving to the community, he, he did a lot of that, right? For, but that was for him, his fulfillment. And, and he just kind of looked at the one saying, I can't believe you're not happy right, in, in providing medical care, but he'd done it in a way where he was giving to the community, he had prepared and he was financially stable for his lifestyle. And then we had another example of somebody who was just, right, maybe he hadn't planned as well financially, but also had other interests, which aren't bad. So as the way we take a step back and figure out what's most important, Shazad said it, what is most important to us, plan for that, but invest wisely in ourselves um, and just be disciplined not to, to take and throw that good money that we're making to, I don't want to be preachy here, but to cheap entertainment, right? Plan ahead, be disciplined. That's where we see our clients who are most satisfied and suited for, um, for being happy with their lives. Yeah, it makes me it makes me think about a story. <laughs> you told your story. I'll tell my quick one. My buddies and I, there's like three or four of us uh, that go hunting every year, go deer hunting at uh, uh, from, from medical school. And um, the guy's camp, we call him Juice. He's kind of a redneck, but he's a great guy. He's a hematologist, oncologist. And uh, I remember whenever we were in medical school, we were talking about if we won a million dollars in the lottery, what we'd spend it on. So we were sitting around a campfire, literally talking about what we do and you know, I'd invest in this or I'd invest in that. And it got to juice. He was the last one in the circle. Like, what would you do if you, if you got a million dollars? He goes, man, I'd probably just buy a million dollar truck. <laughs> like that is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life, but that's how people, you know, some people just spend it all. Uh, what were you going to say? <laughs> well, actually I was going to say Dixon um, was absolutely right. There, there are actually studies done now that look at burnout in physicians and those who are financially free or have less debt will have less burnout. And um, there's a study, I can't think of the name right now, but it was uh, done in residence and looking at student loans and those who had less student loans actually had less, less burnout. Um, so your finances are very much tied to how you show up as a doctor as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree uh, more. And um, another thing I'll add is if you just look at the, the system that we operate in, right, you go through college, you, you accumulate student loans, um, you go through medical school, you accumulate student loans. And we can talk about the student loan crisis another day, but <laughs> right, you, you, you take out these large loans with pretty heavy interest rates and uh, you go through training you don't learn a lick about managing money right what do you what do you do with all this debt um, how do you um, you know run a successful business or a practice after training you don't learn any of that and you know maybe we should learn it in medical school and residency maybe not I don't know that's an argument that we can have that's a debate we can have because there's so much to learn in residency as it is um, and then you finish training and you go out in the real world, you're six figures in debt. You don't know exactly how to manage your money, right? I did a study at the end of residency. It was a survey to, um, you know, basically see how much um, trainees that are finishing residency, how much they know about some of the basic things that Blake, you mentioned, right? Having an emergency fund, putting some money away in the stock market. Um, you know, the difference between like a Roth and a traditional 401k, just basic questions. And it was an abysmal survey. Not a lot of people understood basic terms coming out of training, which is really, really scary. So the point I'm making is you go through this system that doesn't really set you up well to succeed financially at the other end of it. And that is a sad reality, um, but it is reality. And it, I think it has to change. 
you know, the, the conversation I think needs to be had earlier on in training is my opinion. So um, just, just another thing to add about, about the systemic issue there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe in these last five minutes that we have, um, you know, I'd like to kind of hear, and I'm guessing our listeners would probably want to hear um, about some of the challenges um, that you may face when getting started with this, right? Because I'm guessing it's not that easy or else everyone would do it and everyone would be successful, right? So so maybe you guys can kind of walk us through, um, uh, I got, you can't teach us the whole course in five minutes, but what are, what are some of the uh, issues or, or, or risk, right? So anytime we're thinking about an investment, we think about risk and benefit. What are some of the risks and, and, and is this a safe thing to, to, to do and, and walk us through that? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. Uh, and I think the way we teach it in, in our course is really the foundation of all this uh, really comes down to, which is I was saying earlier about your why, and it's really having a mindset for handling anything that comes your way, right? Because if you have the right mindset, it doesn't matter what comes your way. It doesn't matter how hard it is, as you, as you were saying, or it doesn't matter the curveball that comes and, and uh, you know, the issues that you might face. If you have the right mindset for dealing with those issues, then you're going to be fine, right? And that's actually one of the foundations of what we teach. Uh, we really emphasize a lot of that. And I really think rather than uh, you know, teaching finances, it's really about having a financial mindset, right? And and the, and a lot of that is okay, Dixon. You were saying people want to go out and uh, go about go out and buy a lot of nice things, but why, right? What's the reason, right? Is that going to help you achieve your goals? Is that going to really make you happy? And ultimately, what you'll find is that uh, because when we achieve financial freedom, having things and stuff really didn't uh, make us feel fulfilled. Ultimately, it came down to growth and contribution for us. Uh, and, and that's what led us to create Semi-Retired MD and constantly challenging ourselves to grow our own por personal portfolio, as well as teach others. And all we're thinking about all day really is how can we make our students more successful? There's nothing more uh, fulfilling than that when we're thinking about it from that perspective. Um, so I think that that's really the foundation of all the, you know, dealing with all the stuff that can happen. I love real estate as a it's really a, it's a perfect, I think, way, uh, training grounds for you to work on that mindset because uh, a lot of things do happen, right? So let me, let me talk about some of those challenges that you might occur, that might occur. Well, first of all, uh, you know, COVID happened mm -hmm. <laughs> and all of a sudden it was like, okay, tenants can choose uh, not to pay the rent if they don't want to, right? So that in itself is a challenge. Imagine buying a property 3,000 miles away because you live in a high cost of living market like San Francisco and there's nothing around you that cash flow. So you choose a market in North Carolina because you know properties there can cash flow and it's 3,000 miles away. It's COVID. You can't go travel and look at your property. So you're buying the property sight unseen. Imagine the mindset challenges you're going to have, the fear, the stress you're going to feel when you're buying a property 3,000 miles away, sight unseen, and you're buying a 16 unit. This is actually a true story. This is a, a student of ours uh, who bought that property successfully uh, 3,000 miles away without actually seeing it ever for, for a year. So that, that those are some examples. I know yeah, that I mean, wants to jump in. Here. I, yeah, the, I want to just mention limiting beliefs, and that's the beliefs we have about ourselves and the world around us and how that colors our vision of what we're able to do. Um, Shazad has an incredibly, incredible empowering belief that allows him to, I mean, just propels him forward in his success. And Shazad in five years will be like 10 steps ahead of where he is now, just because he has this empowering belief. And, and most of us have all these limiting beliefs about what we can do and what we can achieve. And it holds ourselves, we hold ourselves back. And so I would say the number one challenge is actually overcoming your own limiting beliefs and sabotaging yourself, which is what all of us do. Yeah, because if you can overcome that, then you can handle any challenge, right? And, you know, it things are no longer hard or, you know, you don't land on, I can't, you go, you flip that around and go, how can I, how can I solve this problem? How can I figure this out? Right. And you have your why you have what you're aiming for, right? Like Dixon said, you know, start with where do I want to be? And then every decision becomes easier because it's like, does that decision get me closer to where I want to be? Or does it hold me back? And then you just, you take one step at a time and you move closer to where you want to be. 
Dixon, uh, any final thoughts from you? And I'm going to let Shazad wrap, wrap us up. Take us home. Yeah, let's give Shazad lots of opportunity. I, I love the, the thoughts that have been shared about, uh, one, identifying what it is that will, will help you to be happy, um, and then having discipline, right? It, it's a tough thing that we learn. I don't think there's anything wrong in life, and I haven't heard anybody say this, with working hard, right? Financial freedom doesn't mean that we don't still work. I think there's great value in working hard. It's just finding that work that you can enjoy that has meaning. And during that time, you may have to be disciplined and reinvest, right? Whether it's in real estate, whether it's in your own building, but, but to be smart about how you prepare for it and invest so that down the road, you can do missions like Shazad. I would love to do that, right? When, when, when that time comes. But if we want to be able to give back, we are going to have to have some of that financial freedom or if we wanna spend more time with family. So I love the thoughts, the discipline, the planning ahead and really thinking about what's important to you and keeping that focus. Great points. Shazad, take us home. How am I supposed to follow that, Dixon? <laughs> yeah, easy, easy. <laughs> no, uh, I, I appreciate you all having this, this very important conversation. Um, you know, real estate is, is a small part of, of the bigger picture, right? Um, I, I love real estate. I actually really, really, really love the, you know, the art of finding a deal and, and trying to see what we can do to, to improve performance on a property. I just inherently just love that. Um, to me, it's an intellectual sport. Um, but really, more importantly, um, it's an exercise in personal development and self-improvement. It really, really is. And I am all about that, right? I um, am so far away from, from like this sort of, you know, uh, idealistic human being that I want to be. Um, I, I want to improve every aspect of my being, um, starting with my mindset. And like Kenji alluded to it, real estate is all about mindset. If you have a, you know, a challenge, is it an obstacle or is it an opportunity? Um, and there's so many examples of that in real estate. So real estate is really just a small part of the overall picture. Really, it's about living a happy and fulfilling life. As cliche and as cheesy as that may sound, that's really what it comes down to. Um, I really believe if every single person was given the opportunity to take money out of the equation to remove that variable out of their life, the world would be a better place. I believe in, in human beings and humanity. Um, everyone wants to contribute, right? No one out there is just intrinsically inherently selfish. Everyone wants to contribute, but people are limited for whatever, you know, for, for whatever reason. Um, and financial freedom, real estate, that whole mindset, um, I think removes those uh, limits so people can be the best that they can be and with that we'll hand it back to you Blake thanks so much man this has been fantastic I appreciate the topic you really kind of uh, captained this whole ship and I'm so glad we did it I think this is going to be one of the most watched and most streamed uh, podcasts that we do it's just such useful information and we couldn't have done it without our friends uh, at semi-retired MD and BSM consulting we definitely want you guys to check out uh, uh, both of their websites and um, I just appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. And uh, we hope to have you on again sometime. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid, Survive and Thrive. And thank you to our guest, Dr. Shazad Batiwala, Dr. Leite Alto, Dr. Kenji Asakura, and Dixon Davis for joining the show.